You are made for Mondays. Did y'all practice that this week? A couple of you did. A couple of you didn't want to be made for Mondays. I see. That's good. And uh, last week you got a Spotify list. You got an iTunes list of songs to get you motivated to go to work. And uh, that was fun. And this week I'm going to give you some memes to celebrate work. Because you know that work sometimes becomes, even though we're made for Mondays, work becomes work. And you may enjoy work. You may even enjoy what you do. You get to do this stuff. and then, But don't, there's days that you're like, it's just work. And it's frustrating and it's not fun. It's not exciting. There's thorns and there's thistles. You think you're producing fruit and your workers are messing it all up, your coworkers, your boss, whatever. And work is just like, oh, it's useless. You ever feel that way? Right? I mean, that's, that's what Dairy Queen and Hanks is about. You, old guys, we get together and we get to to frustrate over all those kind of things because work is useless. And so we're going to talk about this morning uh, this idea of why work is useless or it feels that way, but how we can redeem that, how God can redeem that for us because he did create work and allows us to do things and step back and say it's good and then also to put that thing in proper perspective. So let's show a couple of memes just to kind of get you in the mindset of work can be work. So great, I'm finally home from work and it's bedtime. You feel that way? Some of you, yeah, or, or you come home and you got more work to do because there's things to do. You got to feed the animals or feed the kids, the other animals, whatever you got to do. Uh, this is your face when the laziest coworker complains about working too hard. Yeah, you got that, uh huh? And then when you're at work and you're trying to stay positive, you got to keep that face. You just smile anyway, um, even though you don't really want to be positive. What about this one here? The look, the look when you don't want to go to work. Uh, some of you, I've seen that face on you sometimes even on Sunday because uh, you've had to deal with your kids and then stay strong. The weekend is coming. So some of you, even today, you're at church and you're thinking about anything else but church. You're thinking about your to-do list for the week. You got to go grocery shopping. You got to go to lunch. You got to do all these things. And so some of you, you've already checked out from church because you're staying strong because you got the week ahead and you're trying to get ahead of all that different stuff. And so I challenge you to set that stuff aside for just a moment, just to just focus and relax and to think about this idea of work. Because work is fun, can be great, but there are days that work becomes work. We'll be looking at two different passages in this morning in Genesis, which is at the beginning of the Bible. And we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes, which is more toward the middle of the Bible around Psalms and Proverbs. So we'll be jumping into those two different places. But at some point, work became work. So in Genesis chapter 2, we get joined in on the story of work. And in verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. So the beginning thing is that God actually, before the fall, before sin, God put us in the Garden and he wanted us to work it. As a matter of fact, this the imagery even of this is that whenever he gave us this idea of work and he told us to watch over it, is that we could actually improve upon and to to make better the Garden that God created which is an interesting thought for us, is that we can better what God has done. But, but God put into motion the garden, and he says, for man to come alongside and to create some order and to steward over it and to produce even more fruit from that. And so here's that mindset for us, is that God has created work, and he wants us to work the garden and to watch over it. Now look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're to, free to eat from any tree of the garden, And then here's that one word in Scripture that trips us up all the time. But 
You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God has given man the garden, and he tells him to garden it, and garden everything, take care of everything, steward over everything, except this one tree. This one tree, leave this tree alone. I want you to walk past it. I don't even want you to look. Just enjoy everything else I've bestowed upon you in the garden. Work it, make it better, manage it. But this one tree, I want you to leave it alone. And this deal is symbolic for us. The tree is symbolic of our opportunity to make right decisions and to choose God over other things. But here in this moment, we see humanity put something, God put an opportunity, and so opportunity to either choose God or to choose this tree, and they kept looking at it day after day after day, and somewhere along the way, in Genesis chapter 3, the deceiver comes along, the serpent, and tells her, you know what, you certainly won't die, surely you won't die, God created you, he loves you, you're not going to die if you do this, and as a matter of fact, he says, certainly you won't die, but you will be like God. And God doesn't want you to be like him. And so there's something inside of us humans that we want to be like God. And so Adam and Eve looked at that fruit and they said, hmm, I want to be like God. And so an opportunity to choose God in that moment, they decided to choose themselves. And they became the source of authority of what's right and wrong. And so they took that fruit and they ate of it. And immediately everything went to heck in a handbasket, as they say. Things turned upside down in that moment because man chose themselves and what they thought was right over what God said was right. And so our world is now in chaos. Everything about our world is now frustrating. That the very work that God said, hey, I've put you in this garden to work it and to manage it and to even make it better. Now you're going to be frustrated by it. So at the end of Genesis chapter 3, you would say, hey, this thing called childbirth, that's an exciting thing. It's going to be painful stuff. I've never had babies, but I've been around when babies are born, and I hear it. It's pretty painful. Okay? And so this painful thing, things that are even pleasurable are going to be painful. And so even the things of managing the ground, and you think that there's going to be great fruit, even in the midst of that, it's going to be painful, toilful work in the midst of it. So the things in life are upside down. We mess up when we choose to be our own source of authority because man wants to be like God. We want to choose and to set up our own little world and to do life the way that we want to do it. Because man sinned, all of our work is now under a curse. Now, our work is not cursed, but the environment with which we do work is cursed. So, you know, you're going to go into work tomorrow on Monday, and your coworkers are going to frustrate you, Right? Your boss is going to frustrate you. The copier machine is going to frustrate you. You're going to have all these different frustrations. So your, your work is good work. It's good for us to work, but we're going to be working in an environment that is frustrating for us. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, The ground is cursed because of you. And he's talking to Adam and Eve. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. So the good thing is that we get to eat, but it's going to be painful to eat. We're, we're going to, it's going to take work. And so the second part of it, it says, you will produce thorns and thistles for you. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not much of a gardener. I'm really good at growing thorns and thistles. But from those that are actually good at growing things, they tell me that, hey, it's constant work in gardening to continue to move the thorns and thistles. That you, you can spend all this time, and it's so much easier to grow thorns and thistles than it is to actually grow fruit. 
and to grow the other things. And that's just because of the world that we live in. That's how God has set it up. And so as you even clean out thorns and thistles, guess what? They hurt. They physically hurt sometimes. They have thorns and thistles, and so they hurt. And so here God is telling us that the environment with which we try to produce things is going to be painful. The second part of it, we produce thorns and thistles for you, but then you also you will eat plants of the field. Painful labor, it hurts, it takes work, and we're going to produce thorns and thistles, and it's going to be, we have to clear those things out, and it's constantly in the things that we want to produce more of, it takes extra labor to get those things. Work is going to be frustrating. Most of it sometimes can be fulfilling, but there's going to be those frustrating moments, and usually it's the people we work with and the things that we're trying to do. But, but when we keep work in perspective, we're able to find it fulfilling. But when we lose perspective on work, then we be kind of get into some different things. And so there's in Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes tells us there's three quests in life that we can choose. One of those quests is a quest for learning and knowledge. That we want to continue to learn things. Because we want to be the smart person in the room. When we walk in, we want to be the one that has all the answers. And so there's that quest. You're constantly, and learning is a good thing, but the reason for learning is the, is the quest. And so you're all about learning at the disposal of everything else. And so that's one quest. The other quest that the author talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, not only the quest for learning, um, but the quest for pleasure. That The quest for pleasure usually is a quest to medicate. It's a quest to, to numb from the rest of the things of life. And because things are, because we, the world is what it is and it's chaotic and we're struggling to deal with it, we choose pleasure, that quest, because when we choose those things, it temporarily medicates and allows us to, to, to subsist and to make life work. Even though it's crazy, it makes life work, and even if just for a moment. But if we're choosing those two things, the other quest that we sometimes choose is a quest for work. Because when work is out of perspective, we think that, hey, we've grown a little bit of plant. And yes, there's thorns and thistles, but we're starting to see some fruit. And what happens whenever you start to see some fruit from your labor? People come alongside and they affirm you and they say, hey, you're doing a good job. And so especially for guys, I think, that this affirmation of work and that you're doing something good then creates this desire to create more work because we want more affirmation, we want more money, we want more power, we want more whatever. And so we begin this quest then to to find even more meaning and more purpose and work. And when that happens, then we lose perspective on what work is. And so it becomes... You know, we double down on work, we triple down on work because we want more money, we want more power, we want more affirmation, and so we're constantly striving after more. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17 and 26. Now, whenever I read this passage, I imagine some old guys drinking coffee together at Dairy Queen, okay? You know what I mean? Or at Hank's or wherever. And so this is that, this is my crazy mind. These guys are gathered around and they're dispensing wisdom with one another as we do as old guys. I don't know if I'm old, but I'm on my way. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile, or futile, and a purpose pursuit of the wind. In other words, there's no lasting achievements. I go to work day in and day out, and there's nothing to show for it. You ever feel like that? 
That's what these guys are saying, is that we can pursue wind. That literally, we could go to work and do all the stuff that we can do, and then we come home, and it's like hugging the wind, that there's nothing to show for the work, that we're doing all this work, and there's nothing to show for it. There's no lasting achievements. Continuing on, they say, hey, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun, because I must leave it to the ones who come after me. In other words, those whippersnappers, those young whippersnappers are going to come in and I've done all this work and here I am at this place, I'm about to retire and I'm taking my work and I'm handing it off to a kid. I don't even know if this kid even knows what we do around here. And he's going to be taking over. And so this idea of I've spent my entire life working and pursuing something and I'm handing it off. And so these philosophers of Dairy Queen are standing around at the end of life and they're asking the question, why did I work? What was it? What is the purpose of my life, if I'm taking all of this and all of my life purpose, this quest could be work, and I'm handing it off to someone else, and I don't even know if they even care about the work that I'm handing off, the futileness, the the futileness of that work. Verse 19, and who knows whether he be wise or a fool. Now, older people would never say that about younger people, right? We would never say those young people don't have any idea what they're talking about. Yet, he will take over all my work that I labored skillfully at under the sun. This, too, is futile. So I began to give myself over to the despair concerning all my work that I would labored at under the sun. Think about this. How many civilizations have come and gone, and hundreds, even thousands of years later, we don't know anything about them, and we stumble upon them somehow or another, we're on an archaeological dig, and all of a sudden we discover this whole other civilization. And to think that there may be a day, a hundred, maybe a thousand years, that people don't remember America, people don't remember the United States, and they're stumbling along, and all of your work, someone's going to go, oh, wow, look, what is this little thing that flips open and has little digits? What, what is this thing? And, and all the work that we do is literally like wind. That's what these guys are at Dairy Queen, they're talking about and thinking about all this work that we're doing is just going to go by the wayside. Why did I give my life to so much work? Verse 21, when there's a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give a portion to a person who has not worked for it. That is too futile and a great wrong. How many of y'all have ever done school projects, group school projects? Most people either love those things or hate those things. At my house, my children have a hate relationship with those things because they're like, hey, listen, I do all the work, Dad. I put in all the time. I stayed up late and I do all this different stuff and all this different thing and I'm the one making sure and da-da-da-da-da-da. And then so-and-so and so-and-so, they're going to get the same grade I'm getting and they didn't do nothing but put their name on it. Y'all ever heard that? Have you ever felt that? That's what these guys are saying is, listen, it is not fair for me to work and work and work and work, and then somebody else gets the same credit for my work by just putting their name on it. This idea of just the futileness of our working and, and why do we work and what's the purpose and the meaning and the, and the passion behind it of our work. Verse 22, for what does a person get with all of his work and all of his efforts that he labors under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is futile. This is the idea that our identity and our worth and our value are wrapped up in our work. 
So that at night you can't sleep because you're thinking about, hey, I've got bills to pay or, hey, I've got this going on. And so you've got all of these things because in that moment our worth and our value and our identity comes from our work. And so we're thinking even at night we cannot rest because we're going to lose our identity. We're going to lose our worth. We're going to lose our value. And so it's this futileness. Literally, we're chasing after wind, but we keep chasing after it. Our work brings us worth and value. Some, when guys ask us, somebody, usually when they come up to someone and talk to them, they say, hey, what's your name and what do you do? Because our worth and our value and our identity is wrapped up so much in the work that we do and we try to accomplish. Verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Here the thing that allows us to rest and allows our work to become fulfilling is in that moment when we understand that God has assigned us and called us to the work that we're in. And that we understand that the very reason that we have the skill set that we have, the very reason that we're in the job that we're in, the very reason that we're even in the place that we're fulfilling our vocation is that God has guided and God has directed and God has placed us in that place. And so and our identity is found in him and our identity, even in our work, is found in him. We've been guided and directed by the choices that we've made with him. And that's the reason that we're there where we're at, where we're working. So there's going to be moments in your life, hopefully, where you have a choice and choices surrounding your work. And so when you get to that place and you're asking those questions, God, where do you want me to work? How do you want me to work? What do you want me to do? Here's some questions for you to to think through. Number one, does this job fit me? Does this vocation, does this place of work fit me as far as my gifts, my skills, and even my capacity, the things that I can possibly do? Because we're in different seasons of life, and in different seasons of life, we even have to ask, what's our capacity for the amount of work? Because when you, maybe when you don't have kids at home, you can spend a little bit more time out. Maybe you and your spouse or whoever, you can figure those things out. But those gifts and skills and capacity. Does this job or vocation benefit others, or does it hurt others? Is there actually work, work that we can pursue and do that actually doesn't hurt, doesn't um, help anyone other than fill up our bank account and make us lots of money, but at the expense of other people. The other question to ask is, does this work benefit my family? Does it benefit my community? Does it benefit the field that I'm choosing to go into? And also, does it benefit me? What is the benefits for us? Because look at Ephesians 2, 25 and following. It says, to the sinner who gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. That this is when work becomes fulfilling, when we understand that God has placed us in a place to fulfill our calling, to fulfill the assignment that he's given us, and that, that we experience his pleasure at best when we're fulfilling this vocational thing, that we understand that our gifts and our talents, and that even in the frustration of the thorns and the thistles, that there's fruits of our labor are being produced and that we can celebrate in those things because God has ordained and directed our path there. So when does work become fulfilling? In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, better is one handful with rest than two handfuls of, with effort and a pursuit of the wind. In other words, the question is, how much is enough? So it's better, the teacher here tells us, it's better to have one handful and say, that is enough for me to do life as far as money and work and those kind of things, because 
we can also fill up our other hand with the other things that God has given us that are of purpose and of pleasure and of great use. That, you know, we have friends, we have family, we have church, we have all these other things. But if we're so busy, like the second part of the verse tells us, if we're so busy filling up both hands and trying to give me more and more and more and that there's never enough, then we lose that balance. And all of a sudden, then we're working harder to keep those hands full because you're never going to have enough. Because with these hands, things are falling through and you're consistently pursuing And so the teacher tells us at some point we have to ask the question of how much is enough? Yes, God has gifted you, but in this work, can you say how much is enough and that you can go home at night and say, this is enough for me because I want to enjoy this other part, to find the balance of life. And this is where most of us, I think, kind of live and work and the tension with which we do life is that we, we, sometimes we wish that, that we had more money that kind of weighed out so that we feel like if we had a little bit money, more money over here and the balance was here, then it would allow us to pursue Hawaii or whatever it is, you know, that you have these pleasure things that you're wanting. And so you'll give up some extra time. But the moment that we begin to get that quest, that work becomes so much that all of a sudden, We're answering the question of how much is enough, and we're saying there's never enough. Then we lose the peace and tranquility of why we work and what work is about. Work is not about grabbing things, but maybe, as we talked about last week, one of the things that reasons that we work is so that we can give and share to other people. That when we have two hands that we're constantly grabbing and reaching, usually what that means is we're grabbing after this and we're holding it tight and we're storing it and we keep going back and forth for more and more and more. Because here's what I can tell you. There's never enough money. I've lived long enough to know that. There is never enough money. I always need more money. I could always use more money. It's a fact of life. So how much is enough to live life well and to the fullest so that you can experience the other half, the balance for us? That God has so much more for us than just work itself, but work provides us opportunities over here. So how do you achieve that work-life balance that brings peace? Number one, don't make idols of power and of money. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4, that when we make an idol of it, in other words, that we get the affirmation of, hey, you're really good at your job, and so you work harder and you work harder and you work harder to the detriment of your family, to the detriment of your kids, to the detriment of your church, all the different things, when that becomes more important, your work becomes important, and it's, everything else is skewed. It's because you made a, an idol out of power and you've made an idol out of money. The things get out of balance. The second way to, to achieve work-life balance that brings peace is to put relationships in a proper place. That when work and all these different things get in a proper place, you understand that, hey, God's first, a family's second, work's third, or, and, and all these different things that come into balance And you realize that all these things have a proper place and proper perspective. And you're able to experience the fullness of all of these different things that life provides for us and offers to us. And then also, how to achieve a work-life balance that brings peace is to understand that our identity and our value comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. That when we find our identity and worth and value in Him and keep that in perspective, then we understand that, hey, we can grab and grab and grab and grab, but that will never fulfill us. We can get more and more and more, and that will give us some value to other people, but we won't try on true value because the Joneses and the Smiths are always going to be having more. There's always going to be another Jones or another Smith that's going to have more money or have more toys or have more whatever 
how much is enough and the calling and the vocation that God has given you to enjoy the fullness of the life and opportunity. Work is most fulfilling when we keep work in its proper perspective. So as you gather around your little Dairy Queen today and you get frustrated with work and you think about this little whippersnappers coming along and you got all these different things, think to yourself, put work in perspective. Work is an opportunity to garden the garden that God has given me, and I'm going to do my best at doing it. But to know that this is enough. One of the things I've had multiple conversations, and again, in particular with men, is that they say to me, Chris, at the end of my career, as I've retired and I look back, the thing I regret the most is not keeping work in perspective. And that I took work out of perspective and work, the thing, the good thing about providing for my family, the good thing about work and all that, all that became out of perspective and out of skew. And the one thing when I look back over my life is I wish that I had worked less and spent more time with my family, spent more time with my kids, spent more time with my wife or my husband or whatever, because work is always there. But our friends and our family and others are not. Those seasons come and go. Work is there. Do the best work you can do and enjoy the handful so you can experience the other bounty, the pleasures that God has for us. You are made for Mondays. Enjoy it. Be blessed in it. Let's pray together. The only Father, thank you for work. Thank you for Mondays. Thank you for thorns and thistles. And thank you for the fruit. Lord, I pray that we would, here in this room, wrestle with that question of how much is enough? What does our one handful from work look like? And Father, may we keep all these other things, other things of life that we can enjoy and experience that you've gifted us with as well. May we enjoy them as well. May our quest be you, not work, not knowledge, not pleasure, but you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.